Hello, I'm Paul Scott, and today I'm interviewing the Chief Executive of Reynolds RNO, Robert Purcell. Hello, Robert. Hi, Paul. Nice to speak to you. Likewise, yeah. I've, I've followed Reynolds for quite a few years. I think it's a good company. I'm obviously not giving any recommendations or advice to the listeners. So, Oh, and I forgot the disclaimers. I'm not currently a shareholder in Reynolds, or I have been in the past, and I want to be in the future. And I'm not charging a fee, so it's an independent interview. So, Robert, could you start by giving us a brief overview of Reynolds, please? Yes, indeed. Reynolds is a roughly £200 million turnover international precision engineering company. We're actually nearly 150 years old. Um, Three quarters of our sales are in industrial chain uh, and one quarter in what we call TT, our TT, Talk Transmission Division. Uh, that makes uh, uh, couplings, gears, and gear spindles. Sales are approximately 40% in Europe, 40% in America, and 20% in the rest of the world. We have uh, oh, 11 manufacturing facilities in a number of key regions, including India, China, the US, and Europe. Um, we operate commercial operations in some 20 countries and sell into over 100 countries. Um, just so that people know, uh, Russia, Belarus, uh, Ukraine, etc., were uh, less than half a percent of our sales uh, when those markets were open. Um, our chain products are used extremely widely in nearly every industry and market sector you can think of. Um, you'd be surprised um, where chain goes and how much of it goes into things like services, things like logistics, automated warehouses, automation generally. Um, along with things that you may also actually expect, like food and beverage manufacturing, general manufacturing, and uh, agriculture. Reynolds is a company that sells high-specification premium products. Um, and we have a performance advantage over in our products uh, over the competition. Hopefully, that gives you some background to the business. Yeah, great. And I suppose people can just go to the website and look at the annual report for more details. That was a good, um, a good synopsis, I think. Now, I've followed Reynolds shares for years, and there have been, it's fair to say there have been problems over the years, but it's, it's really, you've really sorted it out, I think. I mean, I would describe it as a slow but sure turnaround. So could you give an overview of, um, of the changes and improvements that you've made to the business over the years? Yeah, okay. Um, Reynolds has been through a sort of root and branch rebuilding over the last few years. We worked very hard to reduce cyclicality in the business whilst also reducing costs, making costs more flexible and growing margins. We've been improving the balance sheet and putting our pension schemes on a more level uh, and steady footing. We've worked very hard to get Reynolds' cash generation to the right level. We have until uh, just before the pandemic actually had to use much of this cash generation to, to restructure the group. That heavy lifting, the cash restructuring is now done, and we've said that quite publicly for some time. Uh, and now we can use that cash for other purposes. We've had to move and close uh, factories in many parts of the world, and in fact we've had to build a brand new uh, factory in China. Our past uh, Acquisitions, these are things that go back in the midst of time, but past acquisitions with different management were not properly integrated, well, they weren't integrated at all. Uh, we've had sorted out those issues, and those acquisitions have been uh, properly integrated into the business. We've been investing in our factories uh, through capital investment, new equipment, automation, etc., putting in place a more proactive and focused commercial structure 
we are very clear about how we can grow our businesses and what we have to do to, to achieve that. Our chain business strategy is now very well defined and we're very clear what we need to do to move it forward and what is involved in that next phase of the Reynolds strategy, which we very creatively called Step 2, uh, which <laughs> follows on from our Step 2020 plan, is now clearly focused on growth, both organic and, and through acquisition. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to see the company um, really on the front foot now. So um, moving on then to the next question, you've just, and this is really what triggered me wanting to uh, to speak to you really, was this, you've, you've announced a sizable acquisition. I think I worked out it was something like 37% equivalent of the company's, of Reynolds' existing market cap. So what's the logic behind this deal and what synergies are you expecting from the acquisition? Um, yes, we've announced the um, uh, acquisition of a, a company. Um, they pronounce it Uke in uh, in Spain, though it's spelled Y-U-K or Yuk in English. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a very good acquisition. It's a good company. It's a high-quality business, and it comes with a high-quality team that are staying with the business um, uh, now that we are the owners. Um, Uke manufactures mainly conveyor chains, and that is chain which is used to move uh, things uh, and they sell this primarily in Iberia, um, so Portugal and Spain. Um, Reynolds is weak in conveyor chain in Europe. Um, we do have a conveyor chain uh, business across the world, but Europe is a, a gap in that. We do not have a conveyor chain manufacturing capability in Europe, therefore this acquisition fills that hole. Um, we will be able to sell the UK. Uh, conveyor chain uh, product across uh, Europe using our pan-European sales team as we have sales operations in most European countries and today they don't have that product available to them. Reynolds is underweight in the industrial chain market in Iberia itself uh, and UK obviously uh, helps us address that particular point. UK today buys in from other manufacturers certain products they don't make themselves but particularly transmission chain products um, which Reynolds will insource to its own uh, manufacturing, current manufacturing facilities, because obviously that's our great strength, is um, transmission chain, and therefore we will get benefits from doing that. Uh, I guess, and lastly, Reynolds will look to sell more of its premium solution chains to Ute's uh, customers in Iberia, or more generally, I suppose, um, and currently Ute do not have those, um, those products in their portfolio to sell. So it's a broad, broad set of benefits, but I think that's good. Some very hard-nosed cost-saving benefits, margin-enhancing benefits, and then there should be things that help us grow and accelerate um, uh, our sales strategy as well. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes, um, just a follow-on question, um, it, it, sometimes when companies make acquisitions, they don't always get what they think they're getting, but, and, and the synergies don't pan out and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, presumably, as this is a specialised area, you must know acquisition targets pretty well, do you, before you buy them? Uh, yes. I mean, wealth industrial chain is a big market. You measure its value in billions of pounds a year. Um, we do know the people operating it. We know the products. We know where we sell. We know where they sell. We obviously understand things like price points. They are making products that, that, that we know about, um, how they work and how to manufacture them in broad terms. 
therefore, we can very quickly get to the heart of the matter when, when you're doing due diligence. And due yeah. diligence on a business like this takes um, some considerable time, uh, and it involves uh, you know, a lot of the management team on both sides to, to make sure it's beneficial for everybody. Yeah. Why do they want to sell out of interest? Um, it's a family firm. Um, the father died in the not too distant past. He was the original driving force behind the business. And um, uh, whilst they, no one said it to me, I believe they just think it's the appropriate time for them to to um, uh, look for a new owner. Yeah, I see. And and the multiple you paid, 7.6 times EBITDA coming down to 7 after cost savings, I think. Is that the typical level of price that we should expect for any further acquisitions? Um, I, I think that's in, in the middle of a range for us. Um, this is a good business. It's a high-quality business. It brings lots of benefits to us. So we would, we would uh, and it's well invested with good management. So we would consider that to be more valuable to us than, should we say, a, a, a roll-in consolidation type candidate. Um, just so that you know, when we look at um, synergies, we only quote the uh, what I call hard synergies, which are the cost savings. What we don't mm-hmm. include in those are additional sales growth and things like that that's not we know what we think they're going to be and we've planned for them and we will drive to achieve them but we don't we don't um, include those things in into the the numbers we put in the market so what's there is the returns that a business is currently generating plus any known cost savings which are in the area i've indicated about in sourcing products Mm, no, that makes sense and nice and prudent. So actually, that reminds me, FinCap have just issued an update note including the acquisition built into it, haven't they? So that's worth people yeah. having, a look, having a look at. And I really like the fact that you use a broker that publishes the notes on Research Tree as well. That's really uh, private investor friendly, so thanks for that. Yeah. Um, let's move on to bank debt then. Now, this, it's fair to say this was a bit problematic in the past, but it's really been fixed comprehensively now. I think uh, in my latest look at the final results recently, I thought, you know, it's just not an issue in our bank debt. And he managed to do all of this while servicing the pension fund and without diluting shareholders, which is, is great. Um, sailed through COVID as well without dilution. So given the macro backdrop now, some shareholders might, I think, be worried about the fact that you're <clears throat> gearing up to fund this, this quite big acquisition. So what's your what's your view on that? Um, I, I, yes, that's right. We are, you know, the gearing is going up post acquisition. The gearing actually is going to, in terms of net absolute net debt rather than gearing, the absolute net debt level with this acquisition is going back. It's a little bit under where it was just as we entered the pandemic. Um, we were quite comfortable going into the, into the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> And um, we came through the pandemic in, in, in good shape. We've got the benefit of having the UK business as well as the businesses that we had uh, through the pandemic. So we've got some extra revenue and profit streams there. And we've got slightly less debt than, than we had through those early days in the, in the pandemic. Um, so I, I understand people's comments. Um, we obviously, we're a prudent business. We spent a lot of time getting the business in good shape. We're not about to overly stress our balance sheet. We don't think where we are in terms of debt, which is what about one and a half times uh, EBITDA, so it's still a low multiple. Um, we've still got room 
good, plenty of room in our facilities. We don't think we are doing anything that is particularly problematic. Yes, there may be difficulties ahead for for, for um, uh, many companies. Um, none of us know what's going to happen next at the moment. But we think we've built a business that's flexible, able to cope with those things. We think we've shown that. And um, that um, we are doing something that is good for the business and building it over over time. Mm. Yeah. And... Um... No, that sounds quite good. And I mean, the other thing I, I noticed during the pandemic was that the business continued to perform surprisingly well. So, is I mean, my I think when we spoke once before, you mentioned that the products obviously wear out over time and are replaced on a sort of schedule that isn't really discretionary. Is that is that still the case? Yes, it's definitely the case. I mean, there's, there's many things about our business that I think are very good. I, I, I talk about business fundamentals, and I think Reynolds has some of the best business fundamentals um, I've ever seen. I mean, one of the reasons we came through the pandemic in reasonably good shape was that um, you know, our facilities kept working. We shut the odd facilities for the odd week here or there, but in most territories, we were asked by the authorities to stay open because we're viewed as a, an essential supplier because we sell our products into pretty much every industry you can think of, food, energy, manufacturing. Um, it's just wherever you have any sort of activity, you will find chain, including service um, industries. So we have a huge spread of market sectors. We have a huge spread of customers. We have no customer that's more than 4.5% of our turnover. We sell into maintenance sectors, as you were talking about, replacement, if you like. We sell into capital projects, and we sell into OEMs, people like Caterpillar, ICE to Yale. These are all customers of ours. Um, so we have a huge spread, and that gives us, I think, great strength. Um, and whilst there is some cyclicality in our business, as there is in pretty much any business, that gets dulled down, if you like, and therefore I don't think we get as big an impact as other people do who are more specific in terms of their coverage, bit of geographic or the market. So I think we've got a lot of strength in our business, and I think you saw that through the pandemic. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, you know, strength, if there is a, a nasty recession coming, presumably the same factors would play out again. Is that right? I think that's right. I think the other thing people forget <clears throat> is that manufacturing businesses, if there's a downturn, we will destock. Um, mm. You know, we carry a lot of inventory, and um, as we did, going into the pandemic and, and you know, if, if activity levels fall, you shrink your balance sheet, you destock, and, you know, your debtors fall. Um, your creditors fall as well, but your debtors fall more than your creditors. Therefore, there's, a nat there's almost a natural hedge to some degree. You've got to manage that process very carefully, but there's a natural hedge. And as long as you've got some flexibility in your cost base, and we've spent a lot of time getting flexibility into our cost base, um, particularly around wages and salaries, because that's the, that's the big thing you need to be able to flex. Um, if you can flex that and control your working capital, then you have, you know, you should be in a reasonable position um, to get through most of these sorts of difficulties. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. The other big issue at the moment, of course, these are all very, very obvious questions, but inflation. Uh, let's talk about inflation. Um, so if you could talk to through your input costs and your ability, the mechanisms that you pass those on? Yes. Well, 
I think um, just before I, I talk about inflation itself, I think just maybe the passing on bit first. Um, in some ways, periods of very aggressive cost inflation are easier to do in a business than sort of slow and invisible rises. Because when you go and speak to a customer, it's very hard for any customer to say, we don't think you've got a problem or you should absorb this yourself because they all know the scale of what's going on. So the, the sort of conversation you have in these times of high inflation are very different than they would be if you just go along and say, I'm putting my prices up 2% and it's a normal annual cost increase to take account of a little bit of labor or whatever it is. So I do think it, in some degree it's easier. And, and the other thing from the company's point of view is we have no choice. We, we have to pass these costs on because they are very substantial. And we've been successful in passing those things on. Um, we see no reason why that should change. Um, and there are two aspects to passing costs on as far as we're concerned. It's actually getting the price rise from the customer, but also doing it at the right speed. If you're too slow, then you've got a lag that you've got the extra cost, but you haven't got the new pricing yet. Um, and therefore, you need to get the right level of cost increase or price increase through, but you also need to do it quickly enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, we make excellent products and we give our customers give our customers a real benefit. And, and we would say a customer has to really be prepared to pay a sensible price for that. We talk about value more than price. Our products offer excellent value would be we accept at times their premium prices. So um, in terms of inflation, you know, you name it, and it's going up fuel, <laughs> steel, labor, and everything in between. We can mitigate these things to some degree, and obviously we're constantly working on that, see what we can do to, to help our customers. Um, but selling prices just have to rise um, and we've used price increases and we've used surcharges. Sometimes surcharges are better for things like um, sort of international container costs uh, because they automatically go up and go down and customers feel more comfortable with that because of an adjustment up and down in both directions as things change. Um, but it's a mixture of both those. And, you know, we've been very careful to make sure that um, – uh, we keep up with events, and so far that is exactly what we've done. Mm, yeah, that's good, isn't it? So, so it's fair to say then this business has pricing power, and margin should uh, remain static. Is that a fair sort of summary? Well, our objective is to increase, increase our margins over time, and one of the reasons why we've done the acquisition, and we will want to do other acquisitions in due course, is because um, we believe we can make this bigger. This business, sorry, this business bigger um, without materially increasing overhead. So um, mm. that will help our overall operating margin in due course. And indeed, the Yuck acquisition, we've said, will be uh, beneficial to our operating margin. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a small example of that. So our objective is to increase our margins uh, over time, not yeah. just through higher prices, but also through taking, continuing to take costs out of the business as well. Yeah, okay. And then uh, supply chain, that's the other big issue at the, at the moment, isn't it? Let, let's talk about that. Yeah, supply chain, it, it's horrible. Um, uh, has been for some, some time now. Um, and there's sort of various 
I guess there's a few big pieces to that for us. Um, containers, container costs, container availability, uh, transit times, um, ports, so that whole sort of uh, supply chain, uh, transportation side of things. It's probably getting a little bit better than it was. Containers are a bit cheaper than they were. The availability of containers is better. Things actually turn up. Uh, transit times are still long, and um, uh, transport firms have got uh, an unpleasant habit of offloading containers in the wrong place just because it's convenient to them at the moment. The, the other big issue there is at the moment is lots of ports, particularly American ports, just taking forever to get stuff through them. Um, you know, we're coping with it. We're dealing with it. I think people can see that in our numbers. Um, uh, we're continuing to, 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 to make progress and deal with these things better all the time. But they're still there. They're, they're easing back, but um, they certainly haven't gone away. Um, similar sort of story in steel. I mean, steel is our big purchase. We, we buy a lot of steel. Um, it's getting it got expensive. It's, the price rises seem to have um, uh, broadly leveled out at the moment. It's very different in different parts of the world. Maybe Chinese steel is starting to go down a little bit. But in America and uh, Europe, we're not really seeing that um, yet. The availability has improved most, most definitely on steel, so that's, that's better. Mm. Components generally can just depend what, what you're buying. So we've certainly been through periods, for instance, where getting hold of things like bearings was very difficult indeed. And then the last bit is just is, is people. Clearly, we have periods of shutdown due to COVID and forced shutdown. Usually that's a week or two if uh, some region locks down. Um, our Chinese facility, by the way, is not in that sort of greater Shanghai area. So other than back in, uh, ooh, when would it be, March is it March 22? March 20, sorry, right at the beginning when China first locked down. Our Chinese facility was closed for a few weeks, but it hasn't been since. Um, the big issue with, with COVID at the moment is you just get these waves of absenteeism in your factory as you get a surge in a particular area. Quite uh, interesting from an academic point of view. You can see these surges rippling around the world, looking at absences in our factories. Um, and therefore, that just, again, presents some difficulties. You can manage them, but um, they're there. So on balance, I say things are a little bit better than they were, but they're variable and volatile. Um, mm. And uh, energy, and what's going to happen with energy costs in the near future and energy availability in Europe, I think, is, is, is the big question that... Uh, everybody's looking at at the moment. Yeah. Have you been able to hedge or fix your energy costs? No. Um, we we do use, I mean, energy is a cost for us. You measure it in millions of pounds, but it's not one of our major costs. Um, and, um, it's you know, the energy we use is, is, is spread over lots of sites in the world. It's actually at the level we use it quite hard to hedge. Um, and obviously, when you do hedge, you, you, you run problems or you run risks as to whether you're hedging it in the right direction or not. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, no, we don't hedge our, our, our energy costs. Um, we just adjust our prices accordingly. But um, it's a, it's a um, cost which we have to pay attention to. But it's yeah. not, it's nothing like steel. I mean, steel for us is 10. 15 times the, the sort of value of what energy is. So steel is far more important than energy. Energy is a, 
uh, a very important factor. Yeah, interesting. So um, just a follow-on question from that then. Um, getting your crystal ball out, where do you see things going in terms of supply chain? Um, I, I don't believe... If, 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 do you mean... Yeah, we sort of well the broader supply chain. Are we over the worst, or just generally for for general interest? Well, I, I I think we're over the worst. I do think that whether you want to call it deglobalization, but mm. I, people are definitely looking at nearshoring or reshoring or one of those other shorings that everyone <laughs> talks about. Um, yeah. You know, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing people putting together projects to make things in Western economies um, that they wouldn't have done in the past um, <clears throat> for, for security. And I don't just mean defense type um, security. We've seen it in a number of other sectors um, where people say, no, we're just going to make this closer to home. Um, so I think we're going to see quite a big multi-year trend there, which generally we think is good for us. A, because we manufacture in lots of different regions, so it's not as if we're just making everything in China and spitting it out from there into other parts of the world. Most regions we manufacture in, um, and people like that in the current market. It gives them security. We've been going through this process of standardization so we can get um, the same product out of multiple factories, which for big OEMs in particular, they like that, and I think that's going to be important. But I think this this what I'm calling reindustrialization of Western markets, which I think is this mm. response to supply chains. That's really reliant. I think that's going to be acceptable for two reasons. One is green energy. Well, we do some work in green energy, but not a huge amount. But I think that's going to make industrialization or reindustrialization of Western economies acceptable. I think the other thing that's critical to this is automation. And automation generally is good news for Reynolds because most forms of automation involve one of our products, particularly chain. So, you know, you as I said, you'll find our chain in automated warehouses, for instance, you find our chain used actually in robots and in assemblies around robots, for instance. Our chain's used for moving things along production lines, taking people out of the process, positioning things and so on. So I think that, I think you're going to find this increasing surge of capital expenditure, reindustrialization and automation in Western economies, and we think that's good for us. Um, yeah. So we're quite happy about that. Well, that sounds interesting. And then last question, I've got to mention, obviously, the pension scheme, because the deficit yeah. is, is material, and this is the reason why the shares, uh, well, I think the shares are just completely overlooked by a lot of uh, investors, but also there's an adjustment in the valuation for the pension deficit. Um, I mean, I know it, we can look at it in different ways, but I tend to focus on cash. So, I think at the moment it's five and a half million a year cash contributions that the company has to make into the pension scheme. Mm -hmm. Is that is that sort of going to continue at that level, or will lower sorry higher interest rates reduce the, those payments over time? Can you talk us through that? Uh, I mean, the simple answer is is, is that that for the level of um, cash import is going to continue. Um, there's, there's a number of factors in this, and we could probably spend the whole interview boring people about pension um, scheme and, and the various rights and wrongs of it. Um, no, right let's, not, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done that before. Um, yeah. Rising interest rates will 
<clears throat> reduce the pension deficit, particularly the UK pension deficit. And if people read the small print in our annual report, you'll see that every quarter of a percent rise in the interest rates, everything else being equal, takes about £7 million off uh, our, our pension deficit. So if rising interest rates will very quickly um, bring down that, that pension deficit in the balance sheet number. The cash we pay in, though, is a slightly different matter, uh, and the two aren't necessarily directly related. So I think you have to assume that the number we're currently putting in, we will continue to put in for some time. Not plenty, yeah. not what we want to do, the right thing for the company to do, clearly. Um, we can cope with it. It doesn't stop us doing other things, hence things like the acquisition. It doesn't stop us investing in our factories. It would be nice if we didn't have to spend that money on this pension scheme, but I think we should assume it's going to continue. There's various elements within that five and a half million, but um, some will go down, some will go up a bit, but roughly it will stay around that sort of number. If we get above, and it's laid out again in our annual report, but it's if we get our profitability above a certain level, we have to put a, a million pounds a year extra in there, which um, we allow for in our um, future calculations. But it's very predictable. We know what we have to pay. Um, the pension trustees are very sensible people. They work with us and understand, and they want the company to succeed. Um, and we're just doing the right thing and making sure that we get that scheme in the right place. So mm. the answer is yes, it's going to continue, I'm afraid. Okay. And I mean, I was looking back at over the last few years, and I think uh, particularly during the pandemic period, the the pension scheme and cash payments were the vast bulk of the company's profits, if you compare them. But looking at the FinCap note, now that you've, you're, you're increasing profits and you've got the bolt on acquisition, uh, the five and a half million you know, is now dropping quite rapidly as a percentage of your profits. I think it's down to, it's, it's in sight of being only consuming about a third of your profits. So it's, it's all moving in the right direction, isn't it? And do you see more acquisitions as a way of diluting the pension problem? Um, we, we see more acquisitions as, as delivering lots of things for us. And one of the things it does do as we get bigger is that um, uh, the pension payments become a, a smaller consideration. I mm. do think people personally, I think people pay too much attention to it, but mm -hmm. um, that's up to each individual person. But uh, yes, certainly acquisitions and growth of all sorts will, will help us, and I think pension will fade into the background over time um, yeah. and, and disappear from people's consciousness. Well, that's certainly, you know, there's, there's very clear evidence from the figures that, that's, that, that that is actually happening, isn't there? So, oh, actually, I didn't, I forgot to ask you about dividends. As, as, what's your view on dividends going forwards? Well, we, we would um, obviously like to, to, to get to a position where we can pay a dividend, and we, obviously we, we consider that on a regular basis. Um, the, the discussion we always have is... Um, about the alternative uses of cash and um, whether we think it would be better for shareholders to take a dividend or whether it would be uh, better to use that cash for other purposes like acquisitions um, and capital investment and get returns on that and so on. And, and certainly so far, we've, we've taken the view that reinvesting it in the business is, is, is the right way forward. Ultimately, we need to get into a position where, where we pay a dividend again um, we won't start paying a dividend until we know it's sustainable. 
Um, we're not interested in paying the odd dividends here and there. We'd be only interested in starting to pay it if we saw that as a, uh, something we can keep doing for some time. So right now, we think it, it, it's better spent in other that cash is better spent in other ways, and you can only spend the cash once, I'm afraid. So mm. that's our yeah. thinking at the moment. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that's covered all the questions I had. So is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to get across to the listeners? Um, I, I think I might have said a number of these points, but I, I guess I'd just reiterate, I suppose. I think Reynolds is a business with wonderful fundamentals and they're as good as I've seen. Um, we've been around for almost 150 years. And within our core sectors, Reynolds is just a terrific brand. We've spent much time and energy getting the business back, fighting fit. Uh, and, and, and now, having done that, we're sort of ready to press on and grow and develop. The market mm. track backdrop is not ideal, and we're very cognizant of all the issues in the world. But Reynolds is, is, is really ready for the next phase of its development now. Um, and we've come into the new financial year with very good momentum. Uh, and we very much looking forward to this to this year. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, just a quick thing that just popped into my head. One of my readers emailed me and said, you know, why are they acquiring things on a, on EBITDA multiples of seven when their own EBITDA multiples half that? But as I said to him, you haven't actually issued any shares, so it doesn't matter, does it? Well, no, it doesn't. I mean, I think that, to me, just suggests that uh, Reynolds' EBITDA multiple is too low. Mm. In my view, um, yeah. because we're paying the sort of multiples one would expect to pay for those types of businesses. So, mm. yeah. um, if we're not on that multiple, then I just question why not. Yeah, yeah, okay. And skin in the game, I know you've been a purchaser and a long-term holder of shares yourself, haven't you? Yes, I have. I've got, uh, uh, I've got. Uh, where am I? Uh, nearly five million shares that I bought myself over the years um, mm. and obviously I uh, I'm in the company share option scheme as well but uh, whatever where I've actually put my own money is about uh, just under the five million shares great stuff yeah brilliant okay I think I've covered everything Robert so thank great. you very much for your time I thought that was really interesting and uh, hopefully the listeners enjoy it too <laughs> and good luck with everything thank you very much Paul very nice to see Thank-likewise. you likewise thanks Robert Bye-bye. bye now